welcome to the Impact on the Ground podcast series. I'm Tiia Sammalahti, CEO of whatimpact.com, a tech for good company with the mission to become the LinkedIn of CSR. In this podcast series, we'll dig deeper into what it takes to make an impactful change in our society. I'll give a voice to charities, social enterprises, companies, grant makers, individuals and government officials who all have one thing in common. They are keen to make a difference. We dive into practical solutions and observe the dynamics of those who have resources to give and those working with the beneficiaries on the ground. Let's start making an impact together. So, hello, Mark Winder, uh, representative of Global UK. Welcome to the pod- podcast, uh, Impact on the Ground. Hi there. Thank Hi. you for having us on. Yeah, sure, of course. Such an interesting topic. So, Global UK is a, is a sports uh, charity, uh, and they are running all the goalball in the UK, and... I didn't know what the goalball was when I was introduced at uh, this organization. And maybe actually Mark is, uh, is a better person to explain what it is all about and, and what is kind of your charitable aspect of work. Absolutely. Goalball is a, a sport for people who are blind or partially sighted. Unlike many sports for people who are disabled, it's not a derivative. So, for example, sitting volleyball or blind tennis or blind football. It's a sport that was designed after World War II, and it was designed by an Austrian and a, and a German to re- rehabilitate soldiers who had lost their sight. Over that period of t- period of time between 1946 and 76, it sort of developed in different ways across the world, and then the rules were formalized and it entered into the Paralympics. And since then. In, within the Paralympics, it's grown to an enormous amount. It's played in, I think it's 96 different countries around the world, which is amazing when you compare it to a sport that's well known, like wheelchair rugby, which is only played in 26 countries. So it's got a real universality across the world. Because it's designed specifically for people who are blind or partially sighted, it's very inclusive for them. So therefore it's designed for them. It's not designed for somebody else and then fiddled a little bit so it fits in with them. It's a sport that's played over, this is the complicated bit, it's easier with the video. It's played over an 18 meter length and nine meters wide. The goals are nine meters wide and there are three players on the court for each team at any one time. On the floor are lines which denote where, where people are within the court and it's a Underneath the lines is string so that the players can orientate themselves with their hands and with their feet so they know exactly where they are. All of the players, I'll just get my, one of my props, play under eye shades. So therefore, everyone's on a, a level playing field. Uh, so therefore, everybody is, has no, no useful vision whatsoever on the court. Yep. And the aim of the game is to score this ball, this, throw this ball under arm. Uh, What's inside the ball? The ball has bells in it, so it's audible. Ah, okay. Obviously, nobody can see. So therefore, that's how people track the ball. But the ball is made of vulcanized rubber, so it doesn't bounce. And it weighs, it's the size of a basketball, and it weighs 1.25 kilograms. So it's it's like a, a light medicine ball. So it is a real, it's a, it's a tough sport, and it's a challenging sport. And it isn't a, 
it, it is a sport for everybody, but played at its highest level when that ball's being thrown at around 40 to 50 miles an hour, it's a real hard, fast-paced game. Wow. Oh, that's just so interesting. Um, and almost 100 countries, uh, you know, play this, uh, play this game. Um, yeah, so, you know, you as a charity are kind of representative for the goalball in the whole UK. And you say in your mission statement that you are raising aspirations, improve independence and remove barriers and isolations, isolation within blind and partially sighted people. Uh, could you tell a little bit more about blind and partially sighted? Uh, this is a sports charity, but what kind of barriers they face in our society in general? Yeah, I'm going to start with within the sports realm yep. and something that I like to call exclusion through inclusion mm -hmm. so around 15 to 20 years ago in the uk there was lots of blind schools and the blind school people with a visual impairment would go to the blind school and they would receive the support they needed for education rightly so it was decided to integrate these people into mainstream school which in, in essence is the right thing to do we want to include yeah. everyone within society however We've heard many stories of it not being done correctly, especially reg regarding sport. Yeah. So therefore, children and young people, we find, often haven't had the equality of opportunity to participate in high-quality PE. Very often, they're asked to go and do a core subject and do a booster within that period. Or very often, they stand with a learning support assistant who has very little experience of PE in a PE class, and they may play with a, a lighter audible ball. Yeah. And that's their experience of PE. They haven't had the experience that many young people have of junior football, junior netball, swimming, gymnastics, because a lot of places aren't accessible for them and they're not able to access these things. So therefore, our sport provides that opportunity. That barrier exacerbates itself when young people go to high school. So within a primary school setting in the UK, people typically stay within one class with one teacher maybe someone else coming in for setting once they get into key stage two. And there's a strong social support network with, with peers because all of their peers know, know how to support that individual and they will go out at playtime and such like and they will have one consistent learning support assistant that supports them throughout the day. However, the way that things work within secondary schools is a local authority will have one nominated school or academy that is the, the school for people who are visually impaired. That young person will then have to travel typically to that, to that school and very often in the taxi. So if you think about that young person's life, they've gone from a secure network within their locality with friends that they can play with, very often going to friends to socialize because it's done with parental support. Then they go to high school and within the first high school settings, what will happen is that they will have to go to reception. They would be collected at reception by a learning support assistant and taken to class or guided there. So their independence is removed. Then at the end of the lesson, probably five minutes before, they're taken from that class to another class and very, they're not socializing with their peers. Yeah, As yeah. they're taxied out, they also don't have that opportunity at weekends and through no fault at all of the other young people, it's when they're becoming more independent at 13, 14, 15, in terms of they might go out on the bike on their own. They might go into town shopping. 
And as they're not within that circle, it's more difficult for them young people. They become isolated. They become isolated. They lose self-confidence. Uh, the self-esteem often becomes diminished. We've said that they don't get very much opportunity for physical activity. So often that they aren't as fit as other young people. Therefore, there's a bit of a downward spiral that occurs, we found. Yeah, so therefore, yeah. finding our sport early is really quite useful, more than useful, because what we found, an unintended consequence of our sport and our competition and events is that the young people are meeting young people who are going through very similar challenges to themselves. In a, and they will swap apps on mobile phones. They will swap tips on how to do things within society and life. They will swap tips on how to travel independently. So therefore, the self-esteem, and it opens up a new world to them. In addition to that, we have parents bringing the, the children and young people to our events, and they are also sharing stories. So therefore, a whole network of, of support has been developed for our young people. Yeah, our yeah. our organisation, sorry, one moment. Our organisation was formed in 2010, and we were actually fortunate in some ways that it was at a time of a spending review in the UK and therefore a lot of services were removed by the, the, the government so therefore there was a void and a get or a gap and our sport was able to fill it for a lot of people. Yeah and sports I mean it's for everyone of course very social you know kind of a environment that when you have games and matches and you maybe collect some money so you know for your travels and stuff so it is a very social for the parents and for the children and 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 um, yeah you can really build a community around it so it's not just the physical activity what people get from it so uh, I checked your charity profile on whatimpact.com uh, which has all the financial details and stuff so you turn over a little bit over 600,000 I assume That's correct yeah. and you have um, uh, approximately seven full-time employees and then lots of volunteers we so do. how do you run your operation and who is funding you yeah so <clears throat> the majority of our fund or two-thirds of our funding comes from Sport England okay uh, or the, the England Sports Council so they, they support what we're doing in order of providing equality of opportunity for, for people who are blind or partially sighted. That amount in 2017 was 95%. So we have had additional funding from other, from other small charities, from philanthropists and fundraising events that we've done. And in addition to that, we've had some significant support from BBC Children in Need, which has allowed us to have a real impact by going into, into schools and supporting young people who are not only blind or partially sighted, but those that are in need for another reason and giving them an opportunity to play a sport they've never played before. We've also had a really great partnership with the Worshipful Company of Spectacle Makers, oh. uh, the livery company based in London. And that's allowed us to develop goalball in, in London and, and, and grow the sport pre-pandemic uh, to, to new levels and, and, and start up a new competition down there solely for the London clubs, of which there are three within central London and then some within outlying areas. It seems that you do a lot with 600,000, uh, which, which is a, uh, it's a criteria for still quite small charity. And uh, how many people do you reach annual, on annual level? 
That's a really difficult question. As a small charity, it's really difficult to measure all of them figures. Yeah. Uh, we, we know that we, we're influencing around 750 people. Uh, and that's through our membership. Our membership is free. We yeah. keep it free because people who are blind or partially sighted, two thirds of them in the UK are not in employment, education or training. So therefore we don't want that to be a barrier. In addition, that doesn't include the work that we do with people in schools, of which there were probably around 1,100 in the year previous yeah. to pandemic. So it's, yeah, it's so around 1,500. Yeah, yeah. So that's a quite a, a big number. I want to go into uh, blind uh, kind of blindness in, in general. You said that, seven, did you say 75%? Around two thirds of people. Yeah, so people are not working. Is it? What is the talent pool that we are losing here? I would say it's enormous. We some of the people, the resilience of the people I've seen within Goldball since coming into it four years ago have been amazing. One of the mo the moment that resonated with me with the most, I, I sat down with a fifteen year old. He's a young man now. He's eighteen now. Mm. Sat down with him at, at an event. I'd played goalball for the first time, which is a different story, and I ached from playing for a long time afterwards. <laughs> but he, I sat down next to him and I just said to him, Stuart, that was my first time for a period under eye shades. I know you have some useful vision, but how do you deal with it every day being visually impaired? He just said, Matt, you've got to just laugh at it. He said, and you've just got to deal with it and have patience with it. He said, there are times when I trip up, there are times when I'll walk into a door. There are times when I'll drop something or spill something when I'm cooking or, or eating. And you, you can get annoyed with it, but it doesn't solve the problem. He said, so the best thing to do is to be lighthearted. He said, and what I do is I often go and I'll go to the gym or I'll go out on my bike, which again, amazed me that he, yeah. he was going out independently on his bike, but he was. And he just said, you've just got to roll with it. And that, that, for me was really humbling because yeah. as a somebody who has a full vision i'm not disabled very often you get up in the morning you can't be bothered you're yeah. a bit tired it's, it's it's autumn now and the nights are coming in and the mornings are dark and it's like well these people that their, their life for them is a challenge every day can be a challenge yeah. from using public transport from getting money out of the bank from going to the shops, especially in COVID periods, life is, is a challenge and it's more challenging. P things have to be better planned for them. And it, we're learning, we're, we're losing within the workplace, going back to what you said, people who are really resilient, people who are really patient and people who are very committed to things when they're, when they're given the opportunity to be. Mm -hmm. And also uh, having certain skills that, um, you know, people with normal eyesight wouldn't have. As we know that if you lose one kind of sensor, you know, you will be enhancing the other ones. And there, there, are, uh, there could be like a lot of tasks that could be done better by, by blind people. Than <clears throat> very often we find that hearing skills of our yeah. people are better than ours. Yeah. So therefore, very often you might be talking within a room and somebody will chirp up from the other side of the room because they've heard it. And I, I probably wouldn't have been able to hear it, but yeah. they can because there is an increased sense. And yeah. obviously the audible ball with the bells, that, that helps that skill as well. It helps them with their tracking skills. So it's an yeah. important, important element. 
as is physical literacy. It's important for everybody, but physical literacy and movement for people who are blind, especially those that were are blind from birth, is a challenge because it, it's hard. They don't see how to walk, which mm. is how we often learn. Yeah. So they have to learn it through through feel and how it feels and it, the, the physical literacy that Goldball provides and other sport provides helps them within everyday living. Yeah. So uh, you said that you've been successfully fundraising uh, and, um, you know, that is, um, of course, amazing. And many uh, small charities and bigger ones, you know, have challenges and, and so on. So how do you find like the fundraising landscape uh, currently? You said that, you know, of course, there are like London Marathon coming up very, very soon and and uh, big these kind of fundraising events can just like your type of charity sign up and people would fundraise for you or how does it work? For the London Marathon, it's a challenge, to be honest. Uh, when the London Marathon was formed, charities were able to apply for, for places that were consistent year in, year out. And that, that's continued. We're a newer charity and we can apply to go on to the London Marathon. However, we have to enter a ballot. You have oh. to pay around £400, I think it is, for, for the ballot to get a chance almost going into a lottery. So that is a bit of a challenge. And for small charities, that's a lot of money, £400 to commit to something that you're not going to get back if you're not given a place, I believe, is, is a lot of money to, to gamble on something. There are other races and other opportunities such as the Great North Run and such like, but we all know that the London Marathon is a real good opportunity for charities to raise money. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that you still would need to pay even if you couldn't enter. The charity uh, has to pay, yeah. So the charity uh, has to put go into the... I looked at it in 2018 and that was the case. It might yeah. be different now, but there is, yeah. there is... Yeah. If you want to go into it, you have to pay the, into the ballot. And even if you get in... Uh, and you get a place you you are not guaranteed to get more than 400 pounds and not and that's also not. not encouraging for the people who fundraise for you as we know that people wouldn't want to put their fundraising efforts to just uh, paying for the place to be fundraised for yeah. so yeah challenging challenging so how have you managed to do this as a small charity how how have you found these uh, uh, supporters are they companies individuals yeah, we've done it in a, in a variety of ways. We've been really fortunate that our Great Britain teams, they're not funded by UK Sport. We had a, around three philanthropists, one main one, uh, who donated in, in over six years. I think it was half a million pounds, uh, including the gift aid money. That yeah. was that, that They were very generous donations. We've also had other people that have supported philanthrop philanthropically just because they hear our story. Yeah. like this opportunity now we, we like to tell the story we, we're proud of the work that we do yes and it, it is really great work that we do we've also held events prior to my time uh, in 2016 we did a coast-to-coast -coast cycle ride a tandem ride uh, where sighted people cycled with visually impaired people across that I think that raised around ten thousand pounds which was a real success in addition to that we, we've done other fundraising events so in the summer one of our members she needed an operation uh, we needed to raise £5,000 to help that operation take place. And we raised that money where well, we doubled that figure near enough. We got £9,000 in the end in, and we got the figure in 24 hours, I think it was. Wow. It was amazing. Uh, just by speaking to people, by sharing it, sharing it with our partners. So that, that was impressive. We also did really quite well in the 2.6 Challenge last year. 
So although I've bemoaned the, the London Marathon, the 2.6 challenge last year was great for us. Again, I think we raised around £10,000 there. What we've, we've really focused on is, is small grant giving charities. Uh, I Within my first 100 days, the 100 days thing of coming into a charity or a new business, I looked around and talked to lots of different people. And we were really fortunate that I managed to speak to a, a lady called Emma Evans. And she worked for DEFRA, the Department for Education, mm-hmm. not Education, for Environment and Fishing and Agriculture, I think it is. Spoke to her and she, she almost went from uh, gamekeeper to poacher for us. And voluntarily, she's helped us raise over £100,000 in the last four years uh, by writing small funding grants, yeah. uh, using the uh, a funder finder type website and books. She's been able to do that. She actually was awarded a MBE last year for her, for her efforts in doing that for us. So they've been the main ways, as well as just searching and just looking and, and thinking about things. So we, we've been very fortunate. We've had uh, £100,000 as well from BBC Children in Need. That's been really quite helpful in, in growing and developing our sport. And also a livery company, uh, the Spectacle Makers. They, yeah. They're great. Yeah, so I guess uh, you as a, a charity CEO are constantly just fundraising. There, there should be probably a little bit easier ways, <laughs> you know, um, there are there are and sport in the united states of america is funded a lot of it is funded philanthropically uh a lot of it is getting the same way that the arts is in the uk and tracy krauts when she was in office did quite a lot of work around how can we emulate that in the uk so us as a governing body and one with a, a unique selling point as such have been working quite closely with sport england yeah. And we're hopeful that next year we'll be able to appoint two new positions, which is instead of being it is business development, but business development within the sports sector typically would be going out and finding sponsors, getting new members and that type of thing. We're more relying on our, our charitable status. So what we're, we're hoping that we'll be able to employ is, is somebody to take take control of our communications, uh, which is done by several part time people at the moment and also somebody to look after partnerships, i.e. developing partnerships for funding, get, get, getting new, new volunteers that can help us to grow our sport and develop our sport, and also working with other charities so that we can probably do things a little bit better together. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, of course, it's a sport charity, but like I saw, the, uh, you're told your impact is so much uh, like a broader, and, and uh, you know, this, you know, if, if blind people cannot get to work or they don't have an education after the kind of the mandatory education, that is something that, you know, you could collaborate with. And I'm sure there could be companies who could be working with you, uh, you know, training and hiring, uh, you know, people and they would have access to these blind and partially sighted uh, people through your organization. Yeah. And also collaboration with some educational charities, because like we said, there's a huge talent pool, you know, probably so much like so many smart people, you know, with, like you said, uh, very resilient, diligent, you know, good lifestyle, sporty people, you know, so on. So it, it would be a shame, you know, the, you know, not allow, uh, you know, our society to benefit from their 
you know, kind of input and also then uh, improving the quality of life of, of these people who, of course, everybody wants to be meaningful. So mm -hmm. have you thought of these kind of like um, developments with some partnerships or are you looking for these kind of partnerships? Yeah, we, we have had them and we have worked on them in the past. So we've worked with several different companies in the past uh, in terms of providing the experience of goalball to raise their awareness of visual impairment. And that's we're doing it with uh, the Department for Science, one of the science departments coming up. So we're in negotiations with them in, in order for them to raise awareness of visual impairment. Prior to COVID, <laughs> we, we were in really quite extensive discussions with PwC in terms mm -hmm. of what we could do for their members of staff, and they were really interested in taking part. Similarly, we have just started actually this week discussions and people are starting to talk to us again now after, after lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, we've had a discussion with Boots Opticians around their members of staff coming into volunteer at our events within the north of England. We've also had a discussion with Aon. Uh, we're, we're insured by Aon uh, around us going and, and presenting to their, to their workability group in addition to us uh, presenting to their volunteering group as well in the new year so that we can help develop what we're doing there. We were in, in Smurfit Kappa, uh, another large company. They were in discussions with us in terms of supporting our summer camp because they liked what we did there. But we're also going to do some awareness work with our managers at one of their conferences as well. So it's things that we are, we, we were starting to, to flourish before the lockdown but it's, we've just sort of mothballed a little bit and we just, there's just, the buds are starting to, to come out again now. Yeah, but this is just amazing. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you will be growing and developing uh, all kinds of programs with this enthusiasm. So I only congratulate you and I, I truly hope that you will get that England sport, like support that you can hire more people because uh, that's what it takes, of course, that you have professionals working with you and you cannot do all by yourself and uh, need, need people to do this all. Is there anything you would like to say to any company or grant maker who, who, you know, who is considering uh, supporting you? Uh, what, what is your kind of, uh, how would I say, counter of what can you provide, let's say to a company who supports <clears throat> you? What do they get back? Not that it's, it's the kind of the main point here, but like you said uh, uh, earlier that, you know, when you were referring to these potential partnerships that you, you might be delivering some training for their, their staff and stuff. What, what are these kind of uh, little counter elements that people can engage with you if they were to support you? I think the main thing that we are is that we're agile. So yeah. we're a small agile company and we can meet the needs of anybody who wants to support us or work with us within, within reason. We, we can provide that opportunity around VI training and VI awareness for, for members of staff. We can also give people an opportunity to mentor people who are visually impaired and work alongside people who are visually impaired, again, to develop their experiences of working with people with a disability. In addition to that, I came into the sport and, and was told that the tagline, goalball transforms people's lives. And I always have thought that that's a bit cheesy. You hear that all of the time. And I, I came into role thinking, I'll probably change that. But you know what? We haven't because our sport truly does transform lives. And if you, it, I'm being part of that 
and that makes me want to get up in the morning and people putting a little bit of effort in giving up an afternoon or giving up a weekend to come and do that it that that is what you will really get out of it you'll really make a difference to people who are having it pretty tough and you will help transform their lives oh that's so amazing i'm more touched <laughs> so anyway thank you mark uh you know i encourage uh, all individuals and companies to consider and uh, look up uh, Goalball UK profile on whatimpact.com. You can see all the needed information to kind of make at least preliminary decision whether you want to be in contact and what kind of support you might be needing. And yeah, I wish all the best for your organization and, you know, let's keep in touch and hear your success. And we will be sharing stuff in social media and raising awareness of your work. That's wonderful. Thank you for your support. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. So thank you for tuning into What Impact on the Crown podcast. It's been great to have you with us. I'm Tia Sammalahti, CEO of whatimpact.com, a tech for good company with the mission to become the LinkedIn of CSR. Whether you are a company with resources to give or a charity or social enterprise looking for resources to make an impact, Check out our platform and start your free trial now. Let's make a difference together.